Well, folks, it finally happened. After a year and a half of negotiations, Yandex founder Arkady Voloz and the company's foreign shareholders have reached a deal to part ways with Yandex's Russian assets. The Russian IT giant's Netherlands-based parent company announced Monday, February 5th, that it will sell a large portion of its operations to a consortium of Russian investors before rebranding and continuing to develop its remaining international properties. The Russian investment fund making the purchase, something called Consortium First, will reportedly pay 375 billion rubles, about $5.2 billion, for its portion of Yandex. According to Forbes Russia, the deal likely includes a 10% exit tax to be paid to Russia's federal budget, a fee the new buyers will effectively have to foot themselves. Yandex's restructuring has been underway for more than a year. Medusa has reported together with the news outlet The Bell on the backroom negotiations that have been ongoing to ensure that Yandex's core Russian assets pass to Kremlin-approved hands. And now we're finally there. So let's talk about the breakup of Russia's most important technology company and what it means for the future of Kremlin control over the industry. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock. This week, I am talking to Medusa journalist Svetlana Reiter about the deal to separate Yandex from its Netherlands-based parent company. We'll get into who exactly is buying the assets that will stay in Russia. We'll talk about the difference between the proxy or nominal new owners and the actual people who will presumably control this company. And I'll ask Svetlana why any of this matters, because I know It can all be a bit overwhelming to hear a sentence like, the company has indicated that the primary buyer is a closed mutual fund that includes Yandex executives and the four financial investors Argonaut, Infinity Management, Meridian Service, and IT Elaboration. Even if I add that the oil company Lukoil owns Argonaut, and a former Gazprom top manager owns Meridian Service, where does that leave us? Well, I asked Svetlana to explain. But first, folks, let's do a brief review of the news from the past week, since there were a few stories that you don't want to miss. In Russia, the big event domestically, and especially for Americans, was conservative pundit Tucker Carlson's storming of Moscow and sitting down for two hours with Vladimir Putin. The interview featured all the things we've come to expect from the Russian president, most amusingly, a long and uninterrupted exegesis on Ukraine's ancient history and how Putin sees the eons leading up to his decision to send in the troops. Carlson seems to have hoped for a more coherent condemnation of NATO expansion, but what he got was a lecture on the 13th century. More substantively, Putin blamed the United States for blowing up the Nord Stream pipelines. He said it would be ineffective to share Moscow's damning proof because Washington controls the global mass media. And he implied that the Kremlin would exchange imprisoned American journalist Evan Gershkovich for Vadim Krasikov, the Russian assassin who killed a Chechen separatist in Berlin in 2019. Tucker Carlson did not ask Putin about Elsu Kumrasheva, the Russian-American journalist arrested last October, who now faces five years in prison for failure to register as a so-called foreign agent. The biggest news in Ukraine, besides the rapid approach of the second anniversary of Russia's full-scale invasion, was President Zelensky's dismissal of Valery Zaluzhny, the commander-in-chief of Ukraine's armed forces. Speculation about the personnel change has been raging for weeks, and commentary about the wisdom of changing military leaders at this point in the war has been quite acrimonious at times. Polling shows that Zeluzhny has become the country's most trusted political figure, outshining even Zelensky. 
leading to concerns about political infighting in the aftermath of last year's failed counteroffensive and especially faltering Western aid. Zaluzhny's replacement, Alexander Sirsky, has an impressive resume, but he also comes with baggage of his own, including a reputation among Ukrainian soldiers that has some worried about the army's discipline and stability in the fighting ahead. At the same time, Zelensky telegraphed this decision well in advance, and he announced the move with a photograph showing him and Zaluzhny shaking hands amicably. And in Russian domestic news, federal election officials finally and formally rejected Boris Nadezhdin's candidacy. No surprise there. There was some last-minute controversy surrounding the supposedly bogus few thousand signatures that technically ended his presidential bid. Nova Gazeta published a report citing allegations from disgruntled campaign workers that Nadezhdin had multiple campaigns working at cross-purposes, including a team of shady political technologists. Whether this was a self-sabotage scheme or just the ordinary lack of coordination in a sprawling political campaign, it seems to be the end of Nadezhdin. The Supreme Court will have the final word on the matter, but it would be quite a shock if the judges reversed the election commission's decision. All right, before I get to my interview with Svetlana Ryder about the sale and restructuring of Yandex, suffer me for a few seconds longer. Let me remind you that Medusa relies on crowdfunding among our global audience to sustain our work. Since we were banned in Russia more than a year ago, we can no longer fundraise in the country where most of our readers live. So to keep this boat afloat, we need help. And I'm talking about word of mouth. I'm talking about cold, hard cash from people like you. So please visit our website and consider signing up to make a recurring donation. And now, on with the show. first question I have, I think, is the, is the obvious one, but I don't know if there's a clear answer. Who now controls Yandex? Like, I know that it's been split between the Russian side and the international side, and maybe there's more transparency with the international side. But generally speaking, like, who's in control now? Well, it is indeed more transparency with the international part. So the main owner of the company, of the international company, of the startups, four startups we have, will be Arkady Volosh who was previously founder of Yandex and uh, uh, his trust foundation. Yeah, that's the right thing, uh, right word. Technically, it will be Arkady Volosh and his startups. Yandex and V was also the owner of the part of the Russian Yandex. So the Russian Yandex uh, will be now owned by Consortium. It's a closed foundation. And uh, it will be, to our point of view, and we can see it quite clearly, will be mostly state-controlled or controlled by the businessman who is close to Kremlin, like Kovalchuki. I don't know if your listeners know anything about it, but that's a very close circle to Vladimir Putin. Putin's banker, that's usually how he's described in the Western media. Yeah, so you see, it's an interesting thing, because it's like... Uh, sort of closed foundation. Well, they announced the shares, the amount of shares, how much people will have. And 30% will be owned by Yandex employees in Russia. So Russian Yandex employee, that sounds fair. And then you have 10, 25, blah, 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 and all the other percents, which will be owned by some people. Uh, some of them are familiar to us and they connected to Kovalchuk. <laughs> Svetlana is referring here to Yuri Kovalchuk, a billionaire financier who's often described in the media as Putin's personal banker. The two men have history that goes back more than 30 years, including shared involvement in an infamous dacha cooperative, a property group, 
whose members went on to hold senior government positions and become enormously wealthy business people. Today, Kavalchuk is the largest shareholder of Rasia Bank, which journalists have described as the jewel of the financial empire of Putin's inner circle. Kavalchuk also controls National Media Group, an investment firm with controlling stakes in popular Russian media assets. His name features prominently in the Panama Papers investigation, where it was revealed that Kavalchuk and Bank Rasia transferred at least a billion dollars to a specially created offshore. He's been under Western sanctions for almost a decade since Russia's annexation of Crimea for his role in facilitating many of Putin's initiatives. And some of them are not familiar to us. And I think, and I'll be very accurate, I think, and my sources or our sources, because we work together with a Belgian list on this theme a lot. So uh, our sources are linking them to Kovalchuk and they're calling them proxy. So we have proxy who will have the bigger share than the Yandex employees itself. So you see, it's like, 30% will be owned by Yandex employee, which sounds really nice. But then you have the other persons and shares, like 70%. And it will be owned by people who are close to Kovalchuk. I would call it like this. Uh, you have people obviously close to Kovalchuk. You have people not so obviously close to Kovalchuk. And you have some people close to Alec Pierov, who is very uh, Luke Oil company, who is also very close to Kovalchuk and to Vladimir Putin. Vagit Alekperov, another Russian billionaire, was the president of the oil company Lukoil from 1993 until 2022. He's one of the prominent business people who met with Putin on the first day of Russia's full-scale invasion of Ukraine. A few days afterward, Lukoil's board of directors released a statement expressing concern about the tragic events in Ukraine, the deepest sympathy for those affected, and called for an end to the special operation and the beginning of negotiations. A week later, Alek Perov stepped down as president after the UK government hit him with personal sanctions. In May, Putin gave him a For Merit to the Fatherland award. So it looks like this. It's a bit schizophrenic and hectic. For example, our sources named to us Vladimir Patanin. He is also businessman, and he's very close to Vladimir Putin. According to the Forbes sources, Vladimir Patanin was buying a shares of Yandex. So he's already having quite some, you know, uh, stocks and probably some share in Yandex. A quick note about Vladimir Patanin. This is yet another Russian billionaire who grabbed much of his wealth in the controversial loans for shares program during the Yeltsin era. In June 2022, the UK imposed sanctions on Patanin for being one of the major oligarchs in President Putin's inner circle. He's a key shareholder in Narisk Nickel, the world's largest producer of refined nickel and the 11th largest copper producer. Journalists at Nova Gazeta have reported that Patanin is one of the main beneficiaries of the invasion of Ukraine. He's reportedly managed to gobble up some $18 billion in assets of Western companies, I'm talking banks, insurance companies, that kind of thing. In April 2022, the Patanin-controlled management company Interos acquired Oleg Tinkov's controlling stake in Tinkov Bank for roughly 3% of its real value after Tinkov criticized the invasion of Ukraine. But looking at the proxy we have now, we can't see him directly, which can mean something or can mean nothing. What's the significance of being able to say, 
oh, this is in Kavalchuk's control, or oh, this is actually belongs to Luke Oil, or, or it's all Kirienka or something. Like, does being able to identify the real holder, not the nominal owner or the proxy owner or something, what does that mean? Like, what does that matter? Do you think it affects the way the company will behave? Does it mean that the because Kovalchuk is so close to Putin, it means that Putin has even more control over what Yandex does, and it can now it can censor better, or it can, I don't know, make missiles or something. <laughs> like, what does it mean, like for from kind of like a public interest perspective? Yeah, but they'll be state controlled. They're already really state controlled, and they'll be more more state controlled. I mean, it's very difficult to explain, probably to your listeners, what a Yandex means for regular Russian. I mean, and if I'll say. It will be state controlled. Just imagine what will be if Google is state controlled. And I'm afraid that a lot of your, of your listeners will say, Oh, Google is already state controlled. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, thing is, I mean, it's completely state controlled. So you have censorship on every stage and you have this, uh, let's say we wrote the article in Medusa, which I liked a lot. That's the unit of the Yandex called Yandex Taxi is already giving the information on the FSB, you know, uh, request, like on the low, and they're doing it more and more and more. So before they were refusing to do it, sometimes they had this option to, to check. Now they're obliged to do it on the low. They're obliged to do it on the low. Plus to it, they, uh, they lost the Yandex News which was uh, at some point really, really important thing because they had all the media. I mean, it's difficult to discuss because, I mean, they had Yandex, Yandex News and then they had this law when they were obliged to put on the news only state media, right? So they don't have this freedom, right? We, we all lost freedom in Russia. So Yandex also lost freedom in Russia. But plus to the freedom they lost already, they'll be probably putting some more of the, let's say, federal muses, federal articles. So they'll be more, you know, pushing what the, the aims which government wants. That's what we like all witnessing at the moment. Journalists at The Bell previously reported that a special foundation would be responsible for key decisions at Yandex after its restructuring. The three executives joining this foundation will be former CEO Tigran Huda Verjan, director of e-commerce and the mobility business group at Yandex, Daniel Shuleka, and the current CEO, Artyom Savinovsky, as well as Yandex's corporate development advisor, Alexei Kudrin, Russia's former finance minister and the former head of the accounts chamber, another financial control government body. And what do we know about, if we know anything, what do we know about the, the management, the actual like managers who will be working with the Russian side of Yandex now. I know that there was hope or speculation that Alexei Kudrin would somehow play a role. And he's, I know that he's, some people think he's bad and some people think he's good, but he's at least among the like systemic liberals, he's considered nicer than others, I suppose. And so there was some hope that, oh, Kudrin will be involved. That will help Yandex somehow, the the, the Russian side. Is he still in the picture? Involved? Well, if to believe our sources, well, Kudrin in the beginning, he had a role as the intermediary between the Kremlin and between the liberals from Yandex. What is also very important, 
that the, all the proxy who is now in this consortium, they are not in sanction lists of United States, Great Britain or Europe. That was the main sort of condition. They shouldn't be in the sanction list. That's why we're seeing a lot of proxies, right? Because if it wouldn't be like this, if it wouldn't be sanctions, then we would see like real names. That's the point. In the beginning, they were discussing this uh, a list of investors, uh, as we understood, and they were discussing it with Putin. And Putin, as uh, the sources told us, or Kremlin at least, they told uh, it should be like the buyers, we don't care if they're under sanctions or not. It's like our assets, and it's not our problem that it's partly owned by Yandex and V, who is in the Netherlands. So, I mean, like this. As far as we know, right, uh, Kudrin is not on the picture because he failed as an intermediary, and it was like uh, some uh, objective reasons for it, because in the end, Kudrin was under sanctions as well, right? So he couldn't really fulfill his duty being under sanctions, and... As far as we understood, Kiryanka, who's the main ideologist in Kremlin for now, he was very interested in having Yandex. So they have this fight and he won, basically. So in the end, we have the, like sources saying to us, the buyers who are uh, completely approved by Kiryanka. And it's very important to mention that Kiryanka's son is the head of VK, if you know what is VK. And VK is like a social network plus all the other platforms, completely state-controlled, like first channel, they call it in Russia, first channel in the internet. So they already, so they want to build like very big state internet holding and probably with the help because they'll integrate, I, I'm sure, probably I'm wrong, hopefully, but Something is saying to me that I'm not, that in the end they will have this massive holding and they have this dream because they have two competitors now, YouTube and Telegram. So they want, they want to block YouTube and they want, I don't know if they'll succeed with a YouTube or Telegram, but at least that's what they want. So they're building this big state internet machine, which will be working for Russian, right? For Russians in the internet. So that's the point. And I mean, as I understood, uh, the people like top management of Yandex in Russia, they're still there on the on the same place, like Tigran Khudverdian. As I understood, he will be still like uh, still in Yandex, so he will be also making some job there, working there. So it will be the same managers. So it will be like this. Last October, journalists at the Bell wrote about the Kremlin's heavy and growing reliance on managing Russia's internet activity through control over the company VK. The company's content projects have been placed under the supervision of 29-year-old Stepan Kavalchuk, who is the grandnephew of banking oligarch Yuri Kavalchuk. You remember him. The Bell's investigation revealed how Stepan rose to find himself developing what could be Russia's domestic replacement for YouTube, which many observers believe could be blocked in Russia later this year. And what should we expect from the international Yandex? Will it, it'll probably change its name, I assume. And For now, I mean, when we had the other podcast for, for Russian Medusa, right? For, I, I told that uh, it probably will sound very stupid, but my own patriotism was based on two cornerstones. One was Sputnik V. I don't laugh. It was brilliant vaccine against coronavirus. And the other, uh, the other one was Yandex <laughs> because it was like, uh, 
very good to thanks, really. Very innovative and very, in some points, uh, really, really like showing what we can. And that was very important to me, at least for me. And what we will have, uh, my probably some idealistic, idealistic point of view is that Arkady Volos, who was the founder of the first Yandex, like this liberal Yandex with a, with a, like, uses uh, all over the free Russian media and with some really nice products and all the other stuff. And I mean, he will try to build the same Yandex, but they will face a huge problems to my point of view, because they will have four startups. One is called Triple Ten. The other one is called Taloka. The other one is called Nobius. And one is AV Right. These startups are partly based on projects that got underway at the original Russian Yandex, projects for online cloud service, autonomous driving, crowdsourcing, things like that. So because uh, it took so long to make uh, this uh, separation of the international and Russian Yandex happen, it took like almost two years. A lot of people left already startups, so it's only like people who are really loyal to Arkady Volos who still remember these old Yandex are left there, as far as I know from my sources. And it's different market, let's say, so they, they will need to compete. And the price of the Yandex, they had uh, joint st- stocks of Yandex. They had stocks of Yandex in States. Uh, it was frozen. The estimate of the company was almost 18 billion dollars. And now, uh, the, the price of the company is five and a half. Five and a half billion dollars. I think like this because they also in Russia have this huge discount on the company because if the company is owned by how they call it, недружественные страны, like uh, almost Unf- unfriendly. Yeah, well, unfriendly. Just call them. Oh, they can they can call them enemies, right? So the company which is owned by ne- en- enemies is already losing like fifty percent of its price. So let's say it was seventeen and a half when the when they stopped the stocks on Nasdaq, as understood, and in States. And uh, I think I'm correct. So now the price is five, five and a half because 50% is off. So, uh, the amount of money which Arkady Volos will have for these startups won't be that, that big as they probably expected. So as our sources told us, they need now, uh, approximately 300 million dollars for the new startups, which they're trying to find on the markets abroad. So it will be tough for them, I think. And I mean, that's in a way, I'm, I'm sorry to sound a little bit like, little bit like in the movies, but it's, uh, it's some sort of a sad story in the end, you know, because they built really very huge company, very huge IT company. And now you have biggest part of the company is controlled. And it's very profitable company because they still have taxi, they still have delivery in Russia. They have Yandex market, which is huge. They have, they have a really, really a lot of stuff. And they will have this small international part, which needs struggle, basically, to my point of view. Do you expect the foreign division of Yandex, which is now going to be separate and developing on its own under Arkady Volish, is it possible that it will one day return and compete against what Yandex is doing domestically? I know this is a maybe a poor comparison, but I'm reminded of Pavel Durov, you know, founding VK, Kontaktia, and then being forced out, leaving, and then creating something else 
that has now basically come back and is now as important or if not more important than VK ever was. I'm talking about Telegram. And I don't know if Volge would ever create something that would then become instrumental back in Russia and then it would become he'd become a force again or something. Do you see that on the horizon? Is that a possibility, something like that? No. I can explain you why. Because when Pavel Durov had his telegram, we didn't have war. And very important to mention that Arkady Volish is under sanctions. Still, if you can Google, I mean, he's still under th- sanctions. And he's under sanctions because he was uh, uh, working for Russian Yandex. And in the, begin- in the beginning of Russian invasion to Ukraine, Yandex was uh, placing very propagandist news and that was actually explanation why Arkady Volush is in sanctions. So, I mean, it's a bit tricky question. Will anyone give the, like, full steam ahead, you know? So, I, I don't think so. I think, basically, no. <laughs> well, I wish them all the luck, really, because you can see what my sympathies are. they obviously on the side of the people who are still want to struggle, struggle and still, even if it looks really strange... But I mean, they want to have this freedom, which they had like a long, long time ago. But I don't think it'll be, they have a lot of chances, at least for now. Maybe, maybe some miracle will happen. And I mean, it was already like this um, when I spoke to the people in Russian Yandex and to the people who left with Volish. For example, uh, people who left with Volish, they were living on the money which was sent from Russian Yandex to Arkady Volish. Not to him directly, right? But to support these startups. And already people in Russian Yandex were thinking like, we are staying in Russia, we're facing this uh, totalitarian nightmare, but we're making a lot of money. And it's a huge market, really huge market now in Russia because everyone wants to deliver from, uh, you know, want to, to use the delivery service from Yandex. They want to have Yandex market. They want to place the advertising on the Yandex market, right? And I mean, they want to use Yandex taxi and blah, 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 and so on and so forth. So we need to make money in this totalitarian country and then support your startups, right? So they already had this uh, conflict. And I think uh, the Yandex we, we still remember can like work together only, you know, that's, that's my point of view. That's my point of view. But I'll be very lucky if they'll make something and the situation will change, you know, and everything can can start again. That's my point. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.